You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Thank you, Beth. Thanks, choir. Wayne, thank you. Just for a moment. Let's talk. Some days, things just don't go well. And they mess with us. Right? There are days when you wake up and you get out of bed and and the coffee pot doesn't work. Um, The alarm didn't go off in the first place and you overslept. And the coffee doesn't doesn't perk where it's supposed to. Um, I've got up and, and I've had a puddle of where I thought I made coffee the night before. I've had just a puddle and it wasn't coffee, just nothing but water. And so, you know, some days are just like that. And, and today, when we start talking about technical difficulties and, and those kind of things that kind of throw us off, we've got we've to realize that in the scope of eternity, it ain't no big deal. I hope that you didn't come here with the idea that when I show up at church that, that it's going to be perfection when I walk in the building. Because that, that ends real quick as soon as you get onto the property. You, re, you realize that not everything is perfect. Just like there are cracks in the parking lot, which we hope to address, okay? We don't want anybody to get lost on the way into church by falling through one. Okay, we hope to address those. There are cracks in our life that just cause us to be just shifted off a little bit from where we want to be. And so it's, it's fitting and right for us to declare, Lord Jesus, come. And come quickly. And it would be okay if, if, we, if we would say that. We go, it'd be okay if we didn't have lunch today. Wouldn't it? And at the same time, there is a responsibility for us in, in saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. There's a responsibility that in us and, and a realization in us that says there's a whole lot of folks that aren't in church this morning, have no relationship to church, and, and by just default of our thought process, we'd say they don't have a relationship with Christ. And if Jesus were to come back now, they would spend eternity in hell. Do you agree with that? And so we go, oh, things weren't quite right this morning. I get it. I, it bothers me as much as it does anybody because, um, you know, we've talked about checklists and all those kind of things. There's a, um, there's a part of me that just wants everything to be in the right order. It's just the way I'm built. It's, it's the design. It's what I inherited from my dad, I think, um, even when, I, even when I leave my office at night downstairs, when I leave that office, it's like I kind of put everything away, and if everything's not away, it messes with me. I look back, and I go, oh, I really want to put that away. And so when I tell Deb I'm going to leave in about 15 minutes, what usually ends up happening is I leave 10 or 15 minutes after that 15 minutes, and she's learned that when I tell her 15, she just extends it 30 so she's, she's figured out that I'm not going to show up on time. And so she adjusts. 
And that's just kind of the way we operate because there are certain things that I want to do and get done and to be in order. And sometimes life does not order like that. I love what we did this morning in saying, God, Lord Jesus, come, come now, I'm ready. And, and the way we approach, those of us who are believers approach the coming return or the return of Christ, the coming of Christ again, the way we approach that is much different from those that would approach the coming of Christ not having a relationship with him. Because when we read scripture, not having a relationship with Christ and Jesus coming back does not mean good things. It means that there is a final day where there is a separation that takes place. And it, they can't, y'all just get brighter? Okay. I've, I've had rooms where the, it goes dark and I think, I'm going blind, you know, or something like that. But it just got brighter and I thought, man, these glasses are awesome this morning. Um, but when we start talking about the, the coming of Christ, we approach it differently than those without any hope, without that relationship with Christ. The, when we start talking about Jonah and going through this story, part of this all has to do with a people that God wanted to reach that he wanted to speak to. And he called a guy by the name of Jonah a prophet. And he said, I want you to go over to Nineveh because their wickedness has come up before me and I want you to go preach to them. I want you to go, I want you to go tell them about me. And so Jonah in his, in his way of trying to escape that because one, he didn't like the Ninevites to begin with and they were a threat to Israel. So he was, in some ways, maybe in his heart, protecting the country from this onslaught of destruction that may come as a result of the, the Ninevites or that, that people group. So he's avoiding for several different reasons, but the, the bottom line is he tries to escape God, and he can't do it. There'll be folks that when Jesus returns are going to try and escape God. You know that's not gonna work. You cannot run from God. You can't get away. So if you say, well, I'm just kind of waiting it out to see. I don't really need to get saved. And if Jesus comes back, then I'll deal with that when I get there. And, and I really won't have to face God. I want to tell you that you will. Scripture is really clear that, that there is judgment on the back end. And, and it's going to be a separation of, of sheep and goats that that we read about in scripture, there's gonna be a separation that takes place between those that know him and don't know him. And so the, the coming of Jesus is, uh, on one hand, great for those that have a relationship with him, but terrible for those that don't. And when Jonah is told, go tell these people, he's really kind of hoping that God says, good, I'm separating, and we're gonna knock these folks off. Because that's his disposition. I want to get rid of them. If I get rid of them, I, there's a lot good in that. So he tries to run from God. God says, no, that's not a good idea. They throw him over. God pro provides some mercy for Jonah in, in sending a big fish, swallows him up, spends three days in there in some prayer time. It's the awesomest, stinkiest closet, prayer closet you'd ever want to find. And so I don't, I don't want to go there, but prayer closets are good and they give us a time to sit down and decide whether we're going to get on God's agenda or not. 
And so they become a good place. And for Jonah, it was a good place, although a place where he described his distress and his, his not liking what God was doing, but at the same time submitting to what God wanted to do. And so at the very end of chapter three, we, we read after Jonah is spit up, goes over to Nineveh and preaches a very simple message, destruction is coming. And last week we talked about that being a very culturally relevant um, message for the people of Nineveh. They repent. And God does something. It says this, it says when, in verse 10, when God saw their deeds that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. He didn't wipe them out. And so God displayed his mercy not only to Jonah through the fish, but he, dis he displayed his mercy through the people of Nineveh in not killing them, not knocking them off, not wiping them out, not zapping them. And so we get to chapter 4, and... Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because you have all this great stuff taking place in chapter three. People repent, sackcloth, ashes, the whole bit. And God says, I'm not gonna wipe them out. There's some that understand, there's some that don't understand, but there's a, there's a disposition or a, an attitude of repentance among this people and I won't wipe them out. And then we get to chapter four. And so that's where we're going to be this morning for a few minutes. Um, I don't know if you've ever taken on a renovation project. How many of you have taken on some kind of renovation, simple or big? Or, okay, good, good. You know how that works, right? You start the project, and you begin with destruction. So you, so you tear it all out. And while you're doing destruction, you figure out that it's going to now cost twice as much as it was going to cost when you planned it. It's the way it works. I, I was looking at a Facebook post of some friends back in Kentucky, and, and they had a picture of their, their restroom. And it was a picture, it was just, it was sheetrocked, I guess, because it was a weird sheetrock. I'd never seen it. But they had put up the sheetrock, and the caption underneath said that if you're ever going to take on a, a renovation project, this was advice to a daughter. If you take on a renovation project, um, marry somebody rich. Because evidently, the dad had gone out of town and mom decided she was taking out all the walls of the bathroom. Now, I know this lady and she'll put it all back probably before her husband gets back in town because she's kind of that, that personality. Um, but every time you take on a renovation project, it gets bigger. We did it in our kitchen in Kentucky. We said, we're gonna pull this wallpaper off. Well, it was actually vinyl linoleum flooring that they had put up. And it was cool looking, it looked like rock, but we, we pulled that off, and when we pulled it off, there ended up being about that much of a gap between the back end of the backsplash and the wall. I'm thinking, I don't have any clue how to fix that. It wasn't, and I don't even know how, that, how the wallpaper covered that unless it just kind of came down and they you know, had, I don't know, they fixed it, so it looked okay, but we were ready to get rid of it. We did that, so what ended up being just a pull wallpaper down, spackle a little bit in paint, became replaced kitchen countertops. And it's like, uh, yeah. So, you know, there were lots of parts of me hurting, including the wallet. And so, so we did that, and 
things just didn't turn out the way I'd planned. It, what I thought was a reasonable thing didn't turn out to be so reasonable. And, and that's kind of how it is with Jonah. So if you would, stand with me. We'll just read the first four verses of Jonah chapter 4. And we'll jump into this. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go back to verse 10. Let me read that because verse, verse 1 doesn't make sense without verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, the Ninevites, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? What a question. I'm glad I'm not on the back end of that, but maybe I am. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, the, the story of Jonah is kind of depicts our life in that sometimes we run from you and you provide mercy. Sometimes you do exactly what you say you're going to do because of your character. And yet on the back end of that, we may not like it because it's not how we would have done it. And so God, we pray that as we finish up this, this series looking at the journey of a lifetime that Jonah goes through, Father, that you would help us to understand where we're at in this process. What things may need to be adjusted in us so that we could be the people of God that you've called us to be. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak this morning, that your voice would be the loudest voice in the room. And God, we would respond to you and your word in a way that would be fitting, in a way that would, that would show that we recognize you as God. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in here by your spirit with freedom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jonah chapter 4, we get into this. And Jonah is mad. It is, it's an incredible thing to, to look at that and go, here's all these people that God does not knock off, kill, wipe out. And the first part of chapter four says, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Man, that's pretty bold. You know, it wasn't too many days before that that he was spending some time in the belly of a fish getting right with God, spending some time in the prayer closet and getting an attitude adjustment. And then we get to this and it greatly displeased Jonah. He became angry. You got to think that isn't it time for another attitude adjustment, right? What is wrong with you, Jonah? Is, is, is there something you're not catching in this when we look at it? And, and we'd say, yeah, there's something you're not catching, Jonah. We would agree, 
See, see, God has an ambition. So the first thing I want us to get, we're going to do ABC this morning because preachers like to put things in, in different letters and all that kind of stuff, and it's supposed to make it easier to remember. It's supposed to. We'll see how it works. Okay, so the, so the first one is A. It's the, the ambition of God. What is the ambition of God? Jonah knew exactly what the ambition of God is. The ambition of God in this story is that the people would not be destroyed because of their wickedness, but they would come to know who God is. That's the reason that God sent Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against their wickedness. He said, hey, I need to tell you about God. It wasn't only about destruction and saving them from destruction. If it was only about that, then he was just saving them for a later judgment. But it was so that they would get their eyes adjusted to who God was. And so God's desire, God's heart, is that people know God. And Jonah points it out in verse 2. He says, you know, I ran to get away from what you ultimately wanted to accomplish. Because I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. He described God well. He described exactly who God was, that God wanted to save them, that he was compassionate, that he looked on them and loved on them, and wanted to love on them. But they were a wicked people, and their sin separated them from God. It's like us. We're that same way. In our sin, apart from Christ, we are objects of wrath, Scripture says. We're as far away from God as we can get, and we deserve the judgment of God. But because of Christ, we're spared that. We don't have to face the penalty for our sin. Jonah, in this, in this second verse, is essentially quoting Exodus 34, 6 and Psalm 86, 15. It's the exact same wording. Those, two, that, those phrases gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity, same different, same things. And yet what we see in Jonah, as he understands the character of God, he's saying, on the other hand, God, I disagree with what you did. That word angry in, in verse 4, or four one is not because he was hungry, although hangry, I heard, is a term. It's not because of that. He was displeased with God. He was displeased with what God was doing. The, the Hebrew word in this is the, the word that means to be burned or, or starts with fire. It's chara, if, if you were to pronounce it. It's, it's pronounced differently, but it's C-H-A-R-A-H. And it would have the idea of getting burned. If you looked at that, you'd say, well, that, that's where we get charred from and charcoal, things like that. And we would associate it with that. Well, well Jonah had this burning anger in, him, in himself because God didn't do what Jonah thought he ought to do. God, you're not living up to my standard. That's essentially what he tells God. Here's you, God, but God, my standard's so much better. I've got this planned out. See, God... Is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. He cares for people. 
Matthew 6 is, is pretty clear in that God tells us not to worry because God will take care of us. And he loves us. Our job is to seek first his kingdom. The other stuff will come. And then we get to, to Matthew 9, 35, and it says this, and Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, listen to this, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and killing people. No, he doesn't say that. It says, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So Jesus is going about doing all this great stuff so they can feel really good here. But look what it says in, in the next verse, in verse 36. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. It's real clear that Jesus' mission was not to come and just heal people, not to just make their life here more tolerable. Or he would have spent much more time at the pool healing everybody instead of just the one. He would have done all that. He would have healed everybody. It would, just, it would have been really easy for God being God to just say, hey, while you're there, let me just zap everybody and make them good. Let's take care of all their issues. But Jesus understood that it wasn't so much about bringing healing to the sick as it was revealing who God was who God is. What he's saying is, I, although they may be healed physically, I'm looking at them spiritually, and as I look at them spiritually, they look like they're lost. They are a people without a shepherd. And they need a relationship with God more than they need the physical healing to come to their body. So Jesus cares. God cares for people. He has compassion on them. And he's not neglectful. Our God is not neglectful, although he understands sin and the consequences of sin. And that separation that comes, he's not neglectful in the fact that, that he withdraws and says, I don't care. But he takes the initiative to chase us. Psalm 99, 6 through 9 De declares that. Let me, let me flip over there real quick. Psalm 99. Psalm 99, 6 through 9 says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called upon God, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud, and they kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave him. O Lord our God, thou didst answer them. Thou wast a forgiving God to them and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. It's, in, it's interesting. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill for holy is the Lord our God. I look at that and I think, here's God who could have taken the people that came out of Egypt that so disobeyed him and, and God even calls them an ornery people. Obstinate, stubborn. He could have taken them and just wiped them out. But he didn't. Slow to anger, compassionate. And so Jonah in this passage says, God, essentially, I wish you weren't that. Because, and be, but because of that, 
I recognize that you did something different than I wanted. So Jonah became angry. And so in verse 3, it says, Take my life from me, for death is better than, to me than life. If you're not going to do what I want, I'd just as soon die. That's a bold statement. It's kind of a crazy statement. But sometimes we want God to be on our agenda. Sometimes we want God to do what we want him to do. And essentially, it, it's, it's saying, God, we disagree with you, so therefore, we're God. We kind of take on that role. And it's not the role that we're supposed to have. We may disagree with God. We may not understand God. But we ought not get to the place where we say, God, I'm a better God than you are. That's a dangerous spot. So we understand the ambition of God is to, to relent and to pour grace and mercy on, on people. That's what he's about. That's his ambition. We ought not disagree with him. The second thing is B, the barrier of bitterness. Verse 4, it says, And the Lord said, Do you have a good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself, sat under, under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So what's Jonah doing? God's relented. I've declared my peace. I've said, God, I think you're wrong. I'm still mad about it. Take my life if you don't want to take my life. Man. He's getting all mad at God. So he says, well, let's give God one more chance. Let me come out here. Let me sit down. Let me see if God will wipe out the city. So I'm just going to wait and see what God does. So the Lord God appointed, and here's that word again, just like he appointed a fish to go swallow Jonah. He appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant, and that, that extremely happy about the plant means he was arrogant and prideful. So it, it's almost as if to, to Jonah, Jonah was saying, I knew I was right. You provide this plant, you're giving me shade. I'm in a good spot. I knew I was right. Now let's see what happens to Nineveh. But God appointed a worm in verse 7. When dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant, it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, this is pretty, pretty crazy. And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. You know, you gotta, you gotta kind of, you gotta love scripture. Because we get some really raw emotion in Jonah here. I'm still mad at you, God. You put up a plant, then you took it away. I'm still waiting for you to wipe out Nineveh, but you're over here doing this, and then you appoint this wind to come blowing on me and make me really hot. Go stand out in the parking lot for half an hour. There's a hot wind out there. 
I've even heard preachers be called that. So, I blew a hot wind in, scorched the place, and wiped out the plant. And Jonah's like, why'd you do that? It is still better for me to die. I still want out of this mess. I think Jonah was at that spot where bitterness had taken a hold of him. He didn't really want what was on God's agenda. He wanted something different. And and although we read about this conversation with Jonah and God, do you get the feeling that they're on two different pages? That that one's thinking one thing and the the other's thinking something completely different? I, I don't know. I don't know if you've dealt with it or not. Um, but I have, I've had my battery changed on my truck since I've been here. It was one of those deals where it just, I came out one morning, it was like, click, click, click. Great. So jump it off, come up to the office, and here, well, maybe it got enough of a charge when I drove to the office. And so went out there at lunch, click, click, click. I was like, Great, here we go. And so ended up going to get another battery. No big deal. Supposed to happen. It, it's been a while. It's a maintenance thing. Got over to the place, and the place I took it, they, they'll change out your battery. And so I took it there, and they started pulling stuff off, and it was just kind of covered in this powder, white powder, corrosive junk. Now, I will tell you, before we got to the click, click, click the second and third time, I had cleaned it some, but it was still there. It was in the middle of it. It was essentially a corrosive that was pre- preventing connection to take place. So even if I had a decent battery, there was still something getting in the way of my, my vehicle getting the charge it was needing from that battery. Bitterness is like that. It may be small, but it affects the connection. And the more that grows, the more it expands, the more it gets, gets yucky. The more that bitterness is is rooted in our life, the less chance we are to have a a good, solid, good connection with God. So bitterness can never become the, the root of our life and what we center on because if it does, then we tend to lose our connection with God and lose the ability to hear his heart. Now, I don't think Jonah stopped hearing from God, but he stopped hearing the heartbeat of God. And that's one of the reasons he's mad. That's one of the reasons that that he's going a different direction and wants to go a different direction. You see, he's allowed bitterness to become a corrosive in his life. He's forgotten what God's heart was about. You remember in Luke 15, there there are several parables in there. There's the the lost coin and the lost sheep and then the, the son who leaves the father and goes off to a distant land and spends the inheritance and then comes back ready to come as a hired hand and God welcomes him back into the, back into the household. Remember all the, the, those stories, all of those have to do with the celebration of one because one was found. Jonah had forgotten that. Mentions in, in chapter 3 about the 120,000 or whatever it is that did not know their left from their right. And yet, Jonah's not concerned about them. He's not concerned about any of them. He's forgotten how much God loves celebrating the one that comes to know him. And so, Jonah's bitterness had gotten in the way. 
It was, it was that same idea that we see in Luke chapter 9 with James and John. It, it's, a, it's one of those passages where you go, really? He sent message, and it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and he went and he entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. This is um, we're now at verse 53 of Luke chapter 9. It says, And when they did not receive him, because he was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem, and when his disciples James and John saw this, they said this, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Have you ever had one of those moments where you thought that? Yeah, maybe, maybe you go, I've read enough of David in the Psalms that if I pray that, it's really not unbiblical. But he turned and rebuked them and said, do you not know what kind of spirit you are of? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. God's heart. Jonah's lack of understanding what God's heart would entail. See, Jonah had missed out. I want us to understand something this morning. I'm going to make a statement, but I want to qualify it. The statement is this. The church is not about you. Now, let me qualify that. You say, yeah, it is. Well, maybe, sort of. Depends how you hear it. You are the church. You're supposed to be the church. But we can't wrap everything up around you. You can't become the focus of the church. You are not the focal point of any church. And the minute you think that you might be the focal point of the church, you've missed out on what God's heart is. If I start to think that I'm the focal point, I've missed out on what God's heart is. God's heart is reaching those that don't know him. It's not about making me comfortable. And so when I, when I say the church isn't about you, our existence needs to point to Christ. Our existence as a church, our existence as individuals, we need to say, God, I'm willing to take the spotlight if you've ever operated a spotlight, you know you can move it. I'm going to take this spotlight, and I want to shift it off of me, and I want to move it over here, and I want to put it on you. Because that's where it needs to be. God's very clear in his word that when he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And if we allow that to happen by moving the, the focus, the light, the spotlight over to him, then we've accomplished what we're supposed to do, and that's to bring him glory. To say, God, you are worthy of glory and honor. I don't know if you've ever seen this, um, but I have in at least one church. I have not looked around here long enough, I don't, to see it anyways. I'm, at least I haven't noticed it. Have you ever been to a church where you, you're in a Sunday school room or a foyer or something and you accidentally bump the picture or get close enough to the edge of the picture to realize that they've painted around the picture of Jesus? Ever been there? No, 
Okay, I have. It's, a, it's one of the most hilarious things in the world. I was in a Sunday school room and I pulled this picture down because we were getting ready to paint the room and realized that whoever painted the last color didn't move the picture. They just trimmed right around it. And so the, the whole room is tan and underneath the picture of Jesus is mauve. And I, who knows how many years that went on. But, and all I could think of was, you don't want to get close enough to Jesus because he may change you. We have to get that close. Sometimes change takes place when we get close to Jesus. And we're okay with it. For the people of Nineveh, change was coming. For Jonah, they, he needed to see the heart of God so that that bitterness in him would be rooted out and it could be torn away from him so that he'd get close enough to Jesus to see the heart of God in reaching the Ninevite people. It was important. Jonah's barrier was bitterness for us. What's our wall? What's our barrier? What gets in the way of us hearing what God wants us to do? Can we be neutral about the idea of growing as a church? I don't think so. I don't think God ever intended, and I don't believe that stagnation or comfort is pleasing to God. I think he wants us to be a little uncomfortable. And really, if somebody sits in your seat on Sunday morning, it ought to be okay. And one of these days, I'm, get, I'm getting where I've been here long enough I to say swap seats on Sunday morning. Go sit somewhere else. But do it after you're already seated, where you already have your spot warmed up or whatever. So we have to understand not only God's ambition, but understand the things that get in the way, those barriers. And we have to understand the critical nature of the concern. Let's see, the critical nature of the concern. So what's the critical nature? Jesus is coming back. We can't measure the time because we don't know. But we talk about him coming back soon and how really well do we believe that? James 1, or James 2, 12 and 13 says this, so to speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We've talked about it before in this series that we are mercy carriers. We need to be steeped in our concern for others, realizing that the job is really big. And so there is a call to action. There's a part of us that, that has to come to grips with we can't run away from God and we can't go there and say we don't care or we're gonna be angry about what God may do. We have to be ones that have a heart so soft to hear the voice of God saying, I care for them and I love them. And so whatever you do to fill the places where you worship is good, realizing it's gonna bring change. It is a call to action. I want us to watch a video clip 
because it too is a call to action. And, and from this, we'll understand a little bit more of the need, the immediate need we have with Christ coming soon. Watch this. Dan Scott, barely a week ago, I heard you rail for two hours about independence. Uh-huh. Mr. Hardwick, how many times have I heard you speak of freedom at my father's table? Half the men in this church, including you, Father, and you, Reverend, are as ardent patriots as I. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Is that the sort of men you are? that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. Who's with us? in the balance is more than just a country. What hangs in the balance is people's lives and their eternity. And so we say, are you willing to put your beliefs on the line? Are you willing to step beyond just what you believe and act? It, it takes this whole, I'm going to be like Jonah, I'm going to preach, but I'm not going to be angry because they respond. It's God, I understand your heart. I want to take your heart to people that don't know you. This is what it says in Matthew. It says, and seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, Jesus is talking. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest, send out workers into his harvest. Pray. Ask God, am I one of the ones that's supposed to take action? Am I one of the ones that's going to step forward? Or will I sit? Am I going to be the one that has the heart of God to reach a people that don't know God? Or am I going to be somebody that sits back and waits to see what the church is going to do? I would say, it's time to step forward. It's time to step out and say, God, 
I'm on your agenda. I'm on your heart. I want to be lined up with your passions. And so, God, do a work in me so that I can be the person of God you want me to be. The last part of Jonah, I know we need to finish, says this, Then the Lord said, You have compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And then verse 11, which is, which is interesting. Listen to it. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand or their right and left hand, as well as many animals? And the book ends. For listening to this audio from Ebenezer gotta, Baptist Church, now, I'm ready we welcome before, you so to I, join. I know, but every time I get to the ending, I'm like, there's got to be more. It's like a really great movie with a really bad ending. Or, or that song that doesn't, it finishes on that unresolved note, and you're going, just one more, just one more. Finish it up. God in his wisdom, in this book, in this story, in this journey in, in Jonah's life, as we start to look at our life and see how it correlates with Jonah's, where our attitudes don't match up, where the running away from God takes place, where God's mercy is poured on us. I look at that, and what I see in that is this unfinished part, is this blank that needs to be filled in. For Jonah, intentionally blank, we don't know what happens after this. We just know the question that God asks. For us, that blank can still be filled in. It's a blank for us as well. The question is because we're part of the story and God's work, how do we allow God to fill that in for us? Do we allow him to fill it in with a compassion and grace and a mercy that reflects the heart and passion of God? Do we allow him to do that? I think we must be a people that go beyond the words of a confession, but go to action because we're the people of God called by his name, asking him to move among us. I want to ask you two questions. For those of you that belong to Christ already, you have a relationship with him. There's no question about it. Will you depict the ambition of God? And so I want to ask you to come and pray. And maybe come and pray that some wall gets torn down or come and pray and say, God, I just want to be on lined up with your heart, you need to come and pray. There's some that have been putting off becoming church members here for whatever reason, and this would be a great time to, to become a member of this church and say, I want to join with this group of people having a heart for God that goes out to reach others for Christ. That may be what needs to take place in your life. And then the last part, the last question is who needs the mercy and grace of God? Those of us that have received Christ, we understand it, but we're still receiving that on a regular basis. 
with somebody who does not have a relationship with Christ, this morning is a great day to say, I need that. I need to know what forgiveness means. I need that, that healing that takes place when all my sins, the weight of those sins is pulled off of my shoulders because I've turned them over to Christ who became sin for me. So I, I want to invite you to, to come and say, God, here's my life. And so whether it's to come and pray about the passion in the heart of God or to join the church or to accept Christ, I want to invite you to respond in a way that shows your obedience and your surrender to God as God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Again, we, we desire that this, this story would do more than just be a story about a, a guy and a fish and a people. But God, it would be a story that we would identify with as you change our heart and soften us to see the people around us as those who are in need of a shepherd. That you would give us that heart of compassion that Jesus had as he looked out over a people that seemed to be lost. And so God, work in us so that this place would represent you well and would be that place where folks can gather for for that healing that takes place only through Christ. So God, help us to be that catalyst for your heart. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.